1: Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell.
0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I have the distinct privilege of sitting down with Kim Perel. Kim is a serial entrepreneur, angel investor, and best-selling author. She sold her last company for a measly $235 million. And now she loves to support entrepreneurs and is an investor in over 100 companies herself. Kim, tuning in all the way from Miami Beach. What's up? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me.
2: Hey, Travis. Glad to be here.
0: Yes, ma'am. I'm glad to have you here, and I'm sure we're going to do some really good stuff. But for those listening that maybe you know don't know you or don't know that much about your background, let's go ahead and build some context. Start way back from the beginning, and let's talk about nine-year-old Kim. Tell me, you know, set the scene. Tell me, you know, what family life was like. Where'd you grow up? Did you like school? Did you not like school? All the good stuff.
2: Oh my goodness! So I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and. It's so beautiful there for those of you that have not been to Portland. It was an amazing place to grow up. And my both my parents were entrepreneurs. So it was basically, you know, we didn't really talk about sports or what I did in school. We basically talked business. And so they would ask me, you know, we'd come home and they'd say, hey, what's the worst thing that happened to you today? And we'd like compare worst stories of like what had happened at school or, or wherever. And so it kind of normalized, you know, the... Normalized failure, like from a family perspective, because it was always a roller coaster. It's like you never knew what up, up from down. I mean, honestly, I've always kind of been outside the fray, so I like to stilts. I, I could walk on stilts. I had a unicycle. Like anything that wasn't normal, I did it.
0: <laughs> do you think that that was um, kind of something that was inside of you, or do you think that that was definitely cultivated from the way that your parents raised you?
2: I think honestly, I have a twin sister also, and so we were really like my parents focused on just to like focused on ourselves as opposed to like doing what anyone else thought was great or what, you know, she was doing or, so I think that kind of led you to explore new opportunities that weren't so I would say traditionally normal, right? Because it was else you just be comparing yourself to your twin sister all the time, which is just a horrible place to be.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Uh, the, contrast between being gr- like growing up in Portland and now living in Miami is gotta be a little bit culture shock. No, uh, but comparing, comparing those two. So let's, let's connect the dots. What, what happened in between then that pulled you all? The oh way
2: my way. gosh. Yeah. I, I like warm places. I like warm places. I'm mean, So I grew up in Portland and then I went to school in Malibu, California. So I went to college okay. in Malibu. So that was like, so you went to the I best
0: took. weather on earth.
2: Yes. So I was like, oh, it rains a lot here and there's palm trees and sun down there. So I'm going to (laughs) pick my next stop, which was, yeah. So that was, you know, that was definitely getting out of Portland, even though it was amazing. And I think it was such a great place to, you know, grow up. But then, and then I went to school there. And then from there, I actually worked, I worked out of LA um, for my first company. And that's like where my journey kind of began because that was like the beginning of the end, I'd say, or maybe the end and the beginning. You, you um, said,
0: I Sorry, yeah. you said, you said your first company was so that, that was like, you started a company or the first company? No, you I went
2: at? to work for a company, like a hot internet startup in okay. 99. And it was like Got a rocket it. ship. It was amazing. And that, that, that didn't go so planned. It didn't was, go very well. That like the internet graveyard happened. And I was, that was my next
0: it. question. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. So my dream became my nightmare and I got laid off. My company went bankrupt and we lost $120 million. And it was just like one of those devastating moments where you hit rock bottom. And you're like, I thought this was going to be like, I'm going to climb this career louder and, you know, off into the sunset. And that definitely did not happen.
0: Did you go to school for entrepreneurship or business?
2: No, I went to school for business. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But I definitely did not want to become an entrepreneur. I think the really big, it was like, I'm going to get a real job, you know, like one that's secure and one that doesn't have like, yeah, yeah, secure (laughs) and doesn't have this like roller coaster ride of my life. And it actually had the same outcome. So I'm like, I don't know if anything's secure anymore.
0: Exactly. You know, probably one of the most impactful and surprising commencement speeches I ever watched was Jim Carrey. I don't know if you ever saw this, uh, but really there was one clip that really stood out to me where basically he was talking about how his dad was a really funny guy and his dad wanted to do comedy and wanted to be a comedian, but he had kids and wanted to go the safe route. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then when, when Jim was a kid, uh, he was, he said something like, you know, my, my dad, when I was growing up, got laid off from his safe job, like quote unquote safe job. And, uh, and was left to like, try to figure something out with, you know, kids and in his late forties and also stuff. And, and, and so he used that as something and then he said a statement after after that, where he said, uh, and that taught me that if you can fail at what you don't want, then you may as well take the chance to live the life that you want or something like that. And it always like it always stuck with me. And it, it's funny. Um, you know, when when you say that, because that's like the immediate memory that that was triggered in in my mind was was thinking about Jim Carrey saying that. And it's so true. It's especially nowadays, you know, maybe it worked for a previous generation, uh, but I'm not not sure that it does anymore. Right. I mean, we we kind of have to we kind of have to form our own security.
2: I totally agree. And it's funny because it's like, and what you think is secure actually is not secure. I mean, nothing's secure anymore, right? So it's like it's it's I can hear my four kids actually like screaming. Can you hear them?
0: I, I can't. I can't.
2: Okay, so I apologize. I the four kids is where it's like anyone could tap out at this point.
0: You're totally good. My last interview, my son uh broke into my office and came to the camera and said hi. So you're I, I totally understand. Oh,
2: good. Okay, so we're in good college. We're
0: on the same page. Same page. <laughs> okay.
2: Good. I'm just like. <laughs> So I think, you know, listen, nothing's certain anymore. And, but I was hoping for some certainty, naive as I was, and that just didn't happen. And so when the company went bankrupt, I actually moved to Hawaii. So then my route took me even farther, uh, away from Oregon and a much warmer climate. So I like warm, you know, like California, that's the common denominator.
0: That's what it Hawaii, seems to be.
2: Miami. <laughs> it, I like it. It's like I grew up for, I grew up in the cold, you know, it was much colder. So I like the change.
0: The cold and really the rain is what gets me uh, about, about kind of the Northwest. It's beautiful up there. My, um, my wife's is all from Oregon. So we've spent a good amount of time up in Oregon, and oh, cool. uh I, I it's really beautiful. But after like a week or two, I'm like, I need to see the sun again. I forgot. Yeah, yeah the like. three
2: months, right? In the summer. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. yeah. I'm with you. And well, yeah, cool. it gets dark so early too. It's like three o'clock. You're like, should I go to bed?
0: <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, that's not confusing at all, for sure. Um, okay, so so company fails, you move to Hawaii. What's
2: next? So I jumped into entrepreneurship. And I think that's when I took that like leap. It's like, you don't know what you're going to do. You're at the rock bottom. I figured I'd already failed and went bankrupt and, you know, I was embarrassed and humiliated. It's like, I couldn't get any worse No. So might as well to make the bet on myself. And I think, having worked for someone else and I just wanted to control my own destiny. And I didn't want to be like, it was such a hard time that I just didn't want to be in that position ever again.
0: Yeah, I want to hone in on that for a second, because I think that 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 right there is something that prevents so many people from taking action, which is a misunderstanding of what the worst case scenario actually means for you. And it's most of the time exaggerated in your mind compared to what it actually is in real life. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you build up this idea of what worst case scenario and quote unquote rock bottom is. And when you actually go hit rock bottom, you're like, this isn't that bad. You know, like,
2: like it's bad, but you know, yeah, I'm but still, like, I,
0: I'm I, I still get food and water. Like I, like I, I, you know what I mean? Like, especially in America specifically, like we can only hit rock bottom so far, unless you, it's some horrible extenuating circumstance. But for most people, when it's like looking at taking a risk, it's like worst case, absolute worst case scenario is like you got to go get a job or you got to yeah. go back to like doing some work that you maybe were trying to get out of doing, or, you know, it, it's, it's never as bad as you think that it's going to be, but the reward is so far beyond what you think it's going to be that it's worth taking the risk. Right.
2: It is. And I think, you know, honestly, I, at that point, I was very young. I didn't have any children or any responsibility. So taking that risk was easier. I mean, like in a sense, right. Because, I just was myself and I could only I mean to be honest it's like the the good and the bad the good is it's all yourself the bad it's all yourself so yeah right it's you know it's a plus and minus but yeah but I made that bet and I think that was really like that was like the catalyst that honestly changed my life
0: and so what ended up happening with that first company that you started
2: so that first company after many hours of hard work. So there's no overnight success. I think that's very important. <laughs> um, I eventually, so I sold that company um, to a European advertising company. So I was in digital advertising. And then, you know, and then it was it was like one of those, oh my gosh, I can't even believe it moments, right? Like I was actually in Vegas when I sold and yeah. I was at a conference and I couldn't, so I went to the ATM and like it exceeded the, the um atm slip right and i was like oh my god like i couldn't even believe it and it's so funny because then at that point it just shows like me is what would you do i mean i just went back to work i'm like okay this is amazing <laughs> yay let's keep going i was yeah. in Vegas, so mind you i gotta do some celebrating but it was one of those moments that you'll never forget and i was like this is like one of those life-changing moments that no kidding I just worked so hard for.
0: So catch us up on timeline there. So you're you know uh, fresh out of college, you're you're in that other company, goes bankrupt, move out to Hawaii, start your own company. Like how what what uh, how much time has passed between the time where you moved out there until you exited this first company?
2: Yeah, exited right around thirty. So probably seven eight years.
0: So you're building the company seven eight years. Finally. Oh no, I've been
2: there for five years. The coming of bankruptcy I probably worked there three years. So
0: oh, okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. and then uh so now you're 30, you get an amazing exit, like uh, kind of really prime of life, right? Like, pr- Like yeah. really start feeling like, wow, this is this is pretty cool. And so you already said it, you know, your initial reaction was like, Oh, let's celebrate for a second, but also back to work. What did you get back to work to do?
2: So I actually ended up staying on at the company that had uh, acquired my company. And so I stayed on and, but you know, it was, that was actually when I started investing in other companies because when I was young, my grandma made a bet on me and she gave me $10,000 to start my first company. And I really just felt like it it was so hard. It was such a struggle and it was lonely and I just wanted to pay it forward. So that I, I continued on with the company, but I also started investing in other companies and people and that was like really, you know, what energized me because I'd been there and like, I wanted to help other people like achieve success.
0: What type of companies do you look to invest in? I mean, you have me over, you have over 100 angel investments now, is that right?
2: I do. I do. So, and I, yeah, so I usually, I mean, I've come from technology. So I usually look for companies that are leveraging technology to either disrupt a market or accelerate market, but I'm also, you know, I just started investing in some consumer companies, which is exciting, but You know, honestly, I bet on people like I really do. Like that is my like I usually do early stage investments and I'm betting on people. And I think like that's the number one asset from any company. And like that's who, you know, that's who you're making. Like that's who you are investing. It's pre-revenue. So really the only person you're betting on is the person that's going to create this great vision that they had dreamed of. And I like that because I believe that's, you know, I was there and I had one of those visions and someone made a bet on me.
0: When you decided to start investing in companies, was this something like, I guess, how long from your first company till you hit a hundred, like, was there a ramp up period? Did you kind of get your sea legs under you where you're like, Hey, I believe in you. Here's money. Here's money. Here's money. And just kind of like grew over time. Was there a plan that you had on that? Did you want to deploy a certain amount of capital or was it very much just as opportunities came, you put out some money?
2: Yeah, no, um, for me, I really just, as opportunities came up, I would make a decision whether to invest. And then, like that was over, I don't know, like a decade now, right? So it's like 10 companies, basically a year that I would on average um, invest in. And I still, like even I invest in a new company today, there's so many, there's so much opportunity. I just love the entrepreneurs. So, and I love the people and the relationships. And it's so fun to see how, you know, you can help them.
0: How many deals would you say you look at before you invest in one.
2: hundred? Like, 100. not not probably a hundred one, but I probably, you know, I usually at this point would get it from a referral or someone that, you know, had already read, like probably done due diligence on it. But I would sure. say a year, I look at a couple hundred deals for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like an yeah. aggregate.
0: So if you're talking to, so I've, I don't know if you know this, but we recently closed a seed round on my software company, um, Guestio, which is the big old purple logo behind me. And uh, so this is all stuff that's very fresh in my mind. So just curious yeah. on what like what when you're talking to a founder, if somebody's listening to this sh- show and you know they're going through a capital raise, we did a, we did a series on raising capital recently as I was kind of raising capital for my company and um, I, I'm always curious to know what makes you kind of catch the fire if that makes sense. like you, you said yourself you, you bet on the founder, right? you're betting you're betting on the horse. What what makes you what makes you go, all right, this person's got it?
2: I like someone that is doing it because of a need. Like obviously there's gotta be a big market opportunity, but I see like 10 a day of everyone's with the same company, blah, blah. They like personally had the need and they're in it. Like I like the person. That's like me, like they're in it. They're doing like, they're looking at customer, they're looking at high, they're looking all the way to like the last person that's sending a customer service email. They're looking at every part of the company and they're just like, is their being like, it's anonymous with them. And you can feel that, like they will do whatever it takes to ensure that company's a success because that's their baby. Like I, I just can feel it. And I think like that they have this clear vision and they will, you know, I talk about passion a lot and like passion, it's not like doing what you love. It's like what you would sacrifice. And I think these founders have to be willing to sacrifice because entrepreneurship is hard. And if you're not willing to sacrifice, like I guarantee you will not be successful. Mm,
0: yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> I mean, it's part of the... It's like the the admission, right? It's the price of admission to get in. It's not just a... This is a potential variable. It's like a... No, no. Like, let me stamp your ticket before you come in because this is part of the process, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard work, right? So you want to know someone's really committed, like when the going gets tough, and that's why I want to. You know, my my goal is that I can be there to help you through that those times because it is hard. Like to your point, I want to raise capital then just things happen. Right. And like, I could tell you, it yes. never goes as plan, <laughs> as you know. And so, you know, COVID actually and the pandemic has been like just a reminder. We know, we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Like,
0: that's so true. Yeah. There's so many variables. So you gotta, you gotta be the person that's the, the do or die, right? The one that's mm-hmm. going to be able to figure out a path when it seems like all the other paths are blocked. And, uh, and I, I want to make sure, Kim, I, I talked to you a little bit about uh, relationships here because uh, especially in the startup world, which is has been a brand new world for me to kind of figure out and navigate, I've found that relationships are uh, still still at the top of the list for almost everybody that I talk to. And, and you even said it yourself, like you look, you get most of your deal flow through referrals, relationships, mm-hmm. and, and, um, and especially with venture capital, uh, that's the like number one piece of advice I get from almost everybody that's in that space is like, if you... If you don't get an introduction to the VC firm, the odds of them looking at your pitch, you know, is is almost nothing, because they get so many of them coming in through just you know whatever website submission forms that they can't keep up with it. But if you get an intro from someone they trust, then you get a phone call. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so relationships seem to be paramount across the board, no matter what industry, no matter it's 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 industry agnostic, uh, whatever type of business model that you're doing, it's all about the people that you know, the people that that uh, know you uh, the amount of trust that you have with those people so i'm curious to hear your perspective on when you look back in hindsight with your career as it stands now uh, wh- where would you where would you place relationships uh, on the on the scale of of you know the things that you should spend the most time doing
2: Honestly, I agree with you. I think it's number one, like the relationships, because if, I mean, I've run companies with a thousand employees, like it matters. It doesn't matter. Like it matters so much. It matters in selling companies, raising money, people buy people. Right. So if you don't have great relationships, like I don't even want to work with you. So, and it really is a true point and based on my experience like success is better shared anyway so no one's going to be able to do it alone and so how do you find like the right team to really ensure that you will be able to get successful and i think that's actually what's more important it's like does the founder or you know when i look at companies does the founder have a great team around them because if they think you can do it alone just it's impossible and you maybe you can but not to the scale that i want to invest in to get an exit out of
0: and and probably not the speed either
2: no right? No, there's a great quote. Like if you want to go fast, go alone,
0: what is it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah if, if you want to go uh, far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. Some, yeah. Something like that. But yeah. But yeah, like, I've always found that the relationships are like the, they're, they're, they're the shortcut and not in a, not in a negative sense, but in just a, a way that, you know, I, I would have, I would have, I would have had no idea how to go raise money for my company. If I hadn't built up a ton of really great relationships through this podcast over the last, you know, over the previous years leading up to the point where I knew I had a good idea, I knew I had a strong product that I could take to market. I knew that I was the guy to be able to do it even with all of that, it was like, I wouldn't have been able to piece together how to even begin with raising money um, if I didn't have that strong network. And I, I made a list of four or five people that I could call that I knew would take my phone call um, that had been through this process a dozen different times and that run venture funds and got on the phone with them and said, hey, what do I do here? <laughs> you know what I mean? And like yeah. that, those you know phone calls that I knocked down in an afternoon was probably the equivalent of six months of research, on being on Google, trying something, and then it not working, and then adjusting and trying something else, and then that not working, and then adjusting and trying something else, and then that not working. In an afternoon of just a few phone calls with a bunch of people who are way smarter than I am, we figured it out instead of taking the next six months to do it. It's always, to me, the speed of information is so much greater when you can have a personal connection with somebody who's been there, done that, and can help walk you through the process.
2: Yeah, I I totally agree. And I think when you look at it, it's like they help you, in your case, skip the line. You know, I say, like, how do you skip the line? Well, you got to know someone that's (laughs) got the key to the door at the front. And also having good, it sounds like, you know, having good mentors has been really important to me. And I think, you know, to what you're saying in terms of having people that you can call that have been there, that have done that, that actually, you know, so you don't have to learn the same mistakes. It's like, that is just, that's so invaluable.
0: So I want to talk about your book because it's staring at me in the face right behind you. And uh, I'd be remiss if I did not ask you about it. Um, I'm always intrigued when people in your position decide to write a book because, um, you know, you didn't have to. Uh, You're not somebody who decided to write a book so you could go get more money from speaking engagements or so that you could, you know, of, uh, you know, obviously writing a book itself is most of the time is a money loser, not a money maker. And so I find a lot of times it has a lot more to do with impact and legacy and things like that. So I'm very curious to hear what prompted you to write the book jump and why, why now? Like why in the timing that you decided to do it in?
2: I mean, there's never been a better time to jump, right? It's like 95% of Americans are thinking about like quitting their jobs. That's a lot of people. And 75% of people are like looking for a life change because right now the whole world's been turned upside down and nothing's secure, as we just discussed. So why not make a life change? But it's scary. And I think the challenge is people want to do things. They have ideas. They have big visions. They have big dreams. They have career ambitions. But they, it, it's like they get to the edge and then they're like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Right. Like, and my, hope is that when people read the book and get the courage and the confidence and the playbook to be able to make that jump, um, confidently.
0: Yeah. I love that is so top one or two things that you want people to take away from it besides just taking the initial action.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's the first part, right? Like, and I think it's important. Like you definitely need to plan actually in the book, I have a, you know, one year success plan. Cause I think it's really important. You know, listen, there's 52 more days right now in 2021. If you're not planning about how you're going to crush 2022. I would say you really should get on the boat because now's the time to think about what you want to accomplish. And I think a year's a really good time. If you sit and if you don't, you're gonna sit here in a year from now and say, Oh, I should have done like that's so making no choice is a choice. And there's no like I highly encourage people to step out of their comfort zone and into like that growth zone where they're learning and they're inspired and they're motivated and they're gaining skills and knowledge and all these great things, but it doesn't happen playing it safe. And so you have to take a leap of faith. And I really believe if we can give people uh, the tools to be able to do that confidently, it will make it so much easier, right? Because I'm used to doing it because it's almost for me now, it's like second nature, right? Like just as my dad would say, when I grew up, what's the worst that can happen now is innately in me to move and to jump and to take risks. But You got to start small, right? You can't, That's it's scary. So it's like dream really big and start really small.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and obviously that the situations do look different if you're a 24 year old that's single with no responsibility versus being a 48 year old and you have four kids and you have a mortgage payment and your maybe significant other doesn't work and like you're the sole breadwinner. Like there's a lot more things to think about, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it right like I, it, you
2: have it, a choice right and i think that people exactly. are like i can't do it no the challenge is you're too scared to it or you don't like what you'd have to give up in order to do it so maybe we reevaluate what you're saying right exactly. you can do it you just have to know what you're willing to sacrifice it kind of goes back to that right like you're yeah. going to have to give up something
0: yeah you got to change something is <laughs> is what i tell people like something's got if if you don't like where you are then something's got to change you have to either change the situation that you're in or you might need to change maybe your expectation of what you're going to get out of life. Because if you're going to commit to doing something that you don't like for the rest of your life, that's like spending the majority of your waking hours doing something that you don't enjoy. How can you expect that you're going to be happy and fulfilled in life if you're committing purposefully to be doing something with the majority of your waking hours that you don't like? You know what I mean? Or you're going to have to change your outlook in your current situation and say, how can I reprogram myself to enjoy what I do if I'm too scared yeah. to leave what I do? Like something's got to change. You can't just be the same and expect this different result. That's literally the definition of, of, uh, of lunacy, it. right? Of, of <laughs> Totally.
2: Uh, right. Crazy it person. is. And I think actually the last 18 months has given people more permission to jump hmm. because there's so much change. I think it's like, Okay. Yeah. I, I, you know, you, I'm, everyone should be like very proud of themselves. They did it. Right? right. So now you've built some courage in yourself already that, okay, we got through this. I maybe could do something else. Yeah, and it's like, exactly. what is right.
0: Discomfort has been thrust upon even the most comfortable of everybody that's, you know, doing the, the thing that they're supposed to be doing, you know? So I think that's the, the, one of the big thing is that, it's, it's weird. Cause you know, and, and I know that, you know, you have kids as well. When I, when I watch my and my kids are, are, are really young. I have two and a half year old and one year old, but even at the age that they are now, like they're every single day, it seems like they're discovering something new. They're, they're being pushed into a, a different level of comfort. They're getting outside of their comfort zone. They're doing something new for the first time. Like they're constantly changing, learning, growing, adapting, finding out new things, discovering. And it's just like, at what point did we decide as adults that we don't have to do that anymore? You know what I mean? At what point do we become almost hypocritical by thrusting that on our kids and not taking that within ourselves? Because we got too comfortable and we're not willing to put ourselves in a situation that might be a little bit uncomfortable, even though it could lead to greater opportunity and a better life and more fulfillment and you know, a higher level of happiness overall. Like It could lead to those things, but it's going to make me uncomfortable, so I don't want to do it. And it's just like, what? what why? That doesn't even... like That seems like a really you know, disadvantaged way to go throughout living the rest of your life.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. Because my kids, obviously, they're learning, as you say, new things every day. And it's like, you know, they don't, they don't know. But I think over time, obviously, society has its own Pressures and whatever that it puts on you. And I think, you know, in the book, I have a chapter about cutting out the critics and like the naysayers, the dream killers, like all those people, like they're projecting their own insecurities on you. And like you need to understand how not to let that happen. Like, I actually think that's one of the biggest challenges is you wake up thinking society thinks I should do this. I should have this job, this life, this person, like who cares? Like, cut it all out and do what do you want to do? Because you'll be so much happier doing that.
0: Yeah. And even pursuing that even if yeah. it doesn't end up the exact way that you're picturing it I, even I, I like stand-up comedy a lot and there's one of my favorite comics his name is tom segura and he in one of his specials actually kind of talked about this for a second and go figure he's had you know people like damon john and, and grant cardone and people like that on on his podcast so he kind of dabbles in that world a little bit. It's mostly comedy, but um, but I remember him saying something like that because he quit his boring job to go pursue stand-up comedy in LA, like moved across the country. And now he's a super famous stand-up comic, makes a lot of money, like living the dream in that world. And uh he said something that that stuck with me in one of his stand-ups, which was like, he's like, this is not a joke. You know, he's because everybody's waiting for the punchline, right? But he was like, this is actually, I'm being serious, you know, he's like, I believe that even if you never achieve the thing that you set out to achieve, that the pursuit of what you want will lead to more happiness than staying in what you don't want, or something like that. He's like, even if you never achieve it, and I was, and I thought about that for a second. I was like, you know what? I think that I think that's true. Like, just just the active pursuit of trying to get what you want out of life is going to lead you to a better place than just being okay with whatever life decides to serve you. You know yeah, what I
2: mean? I totally agree. I love that actually because it it reminds you that. Like it's a journey, right? Life's a journey. So like, what do you learn along the way? And if you're excited about what you're doing, even if you don't ever hit the, whatever the destination, like something great will happen. You just don't know what it is yet. And I I truly believe that. And that journey and that pursuit, like it is what gets you up in the morning. Like it's fun to have that.
0: Well, Kim, I got to ask you this question uh, because we've put out, I think over 700 episodes of the show now. And the one question that we've asked every guest that's ever come on, this one. So I'm curious to hear how your answer, who, you know, or what, you know, which of those two do you view as the most important asset in life and why?
2: Who, you know, I think for sure. I mean, I'm all about relationships. So for me, it's like, you know, I've been just so blessed to have such so many amazing people support and help me along my journey that it's just, you know, honestly, is why I want to pay it forward.
0: Love it. Uh, Kim, this has been awesome. I had a really fun conversation um, I know everybody in the audience that's listening, I'm sure enjoyed hearing from you. Where can people go to connect with you? Where can people go to pick up a copy of your book? Maybe follow you on some social channels, all that good stuff.
2: Awesome. You can pick up a copy of my book at jumpwithkim.com or kimperrell.com either one. And follow me on any social media at kimperel, P-E-R-E-L-L. And yeah, I'm out there. I'm, you know, I'm hustling just like everyone else and I'm hoping to inspire so many to jump into the next chapter of their life.
0: kimperrell.com that's p e r e l l kimperrell.com go over there, check it out. Get, guys, pick up a copy of your book. You every time I recommend a book on here, you guys know I want you to pick it up now so you don't forget about it. Don't put it on a wish list, don't set it for later. It's a book, okay? It's not that pricey. Just pick it up now put it on your shelf or put it in front of you and get to work on it. I know that you will not regret that. Kim, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I had a blast chatting with you.
2: Oh, thanks Travis. Me too.
1: That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to Travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group podcast to profit. Travis will see you there and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.